Podcraft. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome, everybody, to this episode, Open Adoption, a fascinating story of a unique relationship. And in this episode, I brought my mobile podcast studio to Florida, where I met up with my sister, Edie Kugler, who flew in from Chicago. And I mentioned my sister, Edie, on a previous episode on kindness, and she is an incredible inspiration to me of her kindness and thoughtfulness. She's my big sister of three years, and I love her so dearly. It's just wonderful to have such a supportive person in my life. So this one's for you, babe. She shares her unique story of becoming a parent through open adoption. Here's a highlight of one of the stories that she tells. My niece, Sage, my sister's daughter, actually stood up as a bridesmaid in her birth mother's wedding. Catch that one, huh? I wanted to share my sister's story because many adoption experiences are marred in secrecy, fear, mistrust, abandonment, and jealousy. And this story of my sister's journey with her daughter has the energies of love and openness, of trust, expansiveness, and connection. And I hope it's an inspiration for you all. So I want to tell you a little bit more about my big sister, Edie. (laughs) She is an artist, and creating art is just natural for her. She also facilitates creative empowering workshops and is a certified energy practitioner using various energy healing techniques with her clients in private practice. And before I get to my sister's story, I also want to deeply thank those of you that have donated to my podcast. I really appreciate it. It helps tremendously in keeping this podcast going and putting it out for you all. So if you are inclined and if you feel that this podcast has benefited you in any way, you can go to my website, heartsharecounseling.com, and hit the support the podcast webpage and give a one-time donation or reoccurring monthly donation. Thank you so much. Well, enjoy this episode, Open Adoption, a fascinating story of a unique relationship. So I'm so excited because I get to have my sister on this show and we got a lot of topics to talk about, but one is going to be particularly interesting, I think. So thank you for wanting to do this with me, babe. Well, thank you, Prepo. I have to admit, I'm feeling a little bit giddy here, sitting <laughs> sitting across from you. I always love so much to listen to your podcast, and mm. and it's just amazing that I'm sitting here talking to you during one of your podcasts. We have been vacationing here at Mom's, so that's kind of cool that we're both at the same place. We're at Mom and Jerry's, and so we were talking about things that we wanted to bring up on on my podcast and this one particular to me is just your experience with open adoption and 
and all the stories that you've told over the years and me witnessing how your beautiful kindness and your love and integrating that into your daughter Sage's life, how it just expanded the family. So I think that you're a great teacher around it. The one story that always blew me away and I tell people is that Sage is now, she's going to be 19 coming up in, in a month or so. And a few years ago, well, when was Kim's wedding? Kim's wedding was about two years ago. So Kim is uh, Sage's birth mother. Sage stood up in her birth mother's wedding. Sage was a bridesmaid in her birth mother's wedding, yes. That is freaking incredible. How did that all come about? I know that's a hard question, but like, you fostered that relationship throughout her whole life. And I guess one would be to have our listeners here, what is an open adoption? Well, first I'd like to add too that Sage was a junior bridesmaid in Kim's sister's wedding when she was 11 years old. So it was really a natural process that I think Sage absolutely expected to be a bridesmaid at Kim's wedding because mm. it's, uh, it's all about family. Yeah. Open adoption. I mean, it's a, it's a word that many people really don't know and it makes, it's probably self-explanatory, but can you say what your experience of, uh, why did you choose open adoption? Well, an open adoption is a very interesting concept because it does have many different meanings, many different levels where open adoption could simply be receiving a, a letter from the birth mother once a year, maybe mm. on the child's birthday. Open adoption can be just the existence of knowing who the birth mom is. From what people have told me, they, they believe that our situation is a little bit on the extreme where we have a very, very open adoption. And that was what I wanted to manifest for my daughter from the start, where I always wished and hoped for her to have a very open and close relationship with her birth family. Hmm. Not many mothers want that for their child because they're threatened by it. They're threatened by the possibility of the birth mother wanting the child, the threatening of the family dynamics. I mean, having another family dynamics creates challenges for the adopted parents' family, but you really navigated that just incredibly. How did you know that you made the decision, you and your husband Josh, to make the decision of, of adoption? Well, I'll go through our process quickly where, well, we tried to get pregnant on our own for a number of years. We did infertility. The whole time we were going through the infertility process, I always heard that little voice telling me that this is not the way. Um, this is not the way. And very quickly, I became aware that open adoption was the process for us to become a family. And as far as open adoption, I always visualized a very, very loving family for my daughter. And once my husband and I chose open adoption, I started writing, even before we chose open adoption, during our infertility process, I would always write letters to her that my heart and my arms are open. And then once we chose the open adoption process, the letters started containing, you know, please look for a birth, you know, find a birth mother who's going to nurture you and keep you safe. And so I, I really believe that that was the start of our process. And for you, you were telling me the other day that you really came to terms that you felt that your your body was telling you that that's not going to be a process for you, that that uh, getting pregnant and birthing, well, you accepted that 
as opposed to struggling with that where some other women struggle. So there was a real acceptance more of welcoming in an adoption. Right, right. And even more so because of health issues, I never truly believed that my body wanted to be pregnant. So because I told my body that it didn't want to be pregnant, it it chose that path. And because of that, I never had the dream, the expectation of being pregnant and birthing my child. Mm. So I didn't have to let go of that aspect. It was just a very natural transformation for me. So how did you find out about, it's called the cradle. That's with the adoption agency that has open adoption in, in Chicago. Right, right. The cradle is located in Evanston. And I think we just did a Google to find, you know, open adoption close to the house. We went for orientation and I just felt like, okay, we, you know, we found it. There's no reason to search any farther. We learned about how during the process and even after the birth, there could be a 30% chance of change of heart. And that was a really big part Mm -hmm. of the counseling process with the cradle to prepare adoptive parents how old, how old was she? Kim was 17 at the time. Mm-hmm. So Kim, the birth mother, first had to choose the parents. Right. She had to choose us. And the way that she chose us was through a, it's called the portfolio. And it was really a booklet, our story, who we are, who we were growing up. And the biggest part was what we want for our child, you know, to share that with the birth mother. And I am actually very fortunate because my husband is great on the computer and he put together really a beautiful portfolio of photos of us, our lives together. My husband and I, we we were together for 10 years before we started the adoption process. So we had some you know really good, strong history together. And, you know, we shared beautiful pictures of times that we've shared with our family. Way before Facebook was it. So you didn't have any Facebook stuff <laughs> exactly, and all way that. way before Facebook. <laughs> the one thing that we did not have, though, to share was a dog. So <laughs> <laughs> You got that afterwards. Right, right. And it always concerned me because everybody else's portfolio had that dog, you know, where they looked like a family. And I kept saying to Josh, maybe we need to get a dog. <laughs> <laughs> get a dog so we can be chosen. Exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. But I, I, I will share, though, the first time we met her, you know, here there's this the 17-year-old girl, curly, curly, long blonde hair. She was due six weeks from the time we met her. So she was big belly. She's sitting there with her parents. And I just kept looking at her thinking, wow, like my baby is in her belly. And it was a really odd thing to process at first. Right. Yeah. You know, and and, and her, her parents are very, very, very supportive. They did not find out about the pregnancy until she was six months pregnant. So to back up on, on that original question that I asked you about uh, second thoughts, uh, change of heart, was there, was there any incidences that you felt, oh man, she might be changing her mind? I never felt that way through the adoption process because I felt that Kim and I, even through the very, very short period of time that I knew her before she gave birth, I felt like we had created a foundation with each other, a foundation of trust and good communication. I will share a story with you where it's just the realization of what can happen during the adoption process. And I'm sure it's very, very common. After my daughter's name is Sage, after Sage was born and the adoption plan ended up including me and her mom and Adula being in the delivery room with her. And for me, it was amazing because I was so involved in her birthing process and I, I know I'm going a little off, um, oh, keep going. but I, I, this is just so amazing where, um, you know, I was 
you know, holding her legs up. I was holding, you know, her, her puke bucket. I saw her crown and I saw my daughter's head, her hairy head coming out. And then the next thing I'm like, what the heck is that? And I realized it was her squishy ear. She had turned, it was like her little ear. And it was just the most incredible experience. And yeah, f- most mothers don't get to see that. No, most <laughs> mothers do not get to see that. <laughs> you, you, had a di- you had a different angle that most mothers don't get to see about that birthing of their child. Wow. I certainly did. So after Kim gave birth, she gave me parental rights in the maternity ward, which basically meant that I was allowed to feed and change Sage's diapers. And I wanted Kim to be able to spend as much time with Sage as possible while she was in the hospital. So I pretty much spent all my time in the hospital. And when Kim was awake, I would take Sage into her room and and sit with them. And so on this particular occasion, I took Sage into the room, gave Sage to Kim. Kim's in bed. She's holding Sage. I'm sitting on the chair. And her nurse walks in, and or a nurse walks in, and she said to Kim, you know, how are you feeling today? And, you know, a little bit of chit-chat. And she knew our situation. She knew that this was an adoption situation. And she started telling Kim, you know, honey, you don't have to go through with this if you don't want to. Jeez. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you would be able to find maybe an aunt that could help you. Maybe you could talk your parents into helping you raise and you your listen. child. You heard and this. I'm just sitting there kind of taking it all in. And then finally, Kim, and this is so Kim, finally, Kim, she just looked at her and she said, well, actually, and she points to me, she goes, actually, this is my baby's mother. And we're, and I'm really clear with our adoption process. So and I'm get like, the fuck out of here right, right now. Exactly. Yeah. But just the realization of change of heart, right. 30%. When you talk about that uh, birthing process, Kim's mother was in there, but originally she didn't want to be in there. Right. So to go back a couple of steps, the very first time we had Kim, her dad, and her mom at our house for breakfast, It was a very nice gathering. And then, of course, we started talking a little bit about the birth plan. And Kim still wasn't 100% sure. And I remember standing in the kitchen, like really close to my refrigerator. And I heard Kim's mother, Ellen, say, I can't be there. I can't be there. I, I can't get attached to that baby. And I'm thinking, excuse me, this is open adoption. Like, what, what What are you saying? You can't get attached to the baby. And as it ended up, my husband and I decided, let's get a doula. We'll have a doula so that Kim's totally supported because who really knew what was going to happen during, during the birthing process and who was going to be there and how Kim was going to feel. And it ended up that Kim and I were supposed to have dinner that night. And I had called her early in the day to confirm. And she said to me, I think I'm having labor pains. And I said to her, is your mom home? (laughs) (laughs) They went to the hospital. Josh and I followed them to the hospital. We hung out there for a couple of hours. They sent Kim home. Josh and I ran to the baby place. We got the car seat, you know, some necessities. And we were back at the hospital at 1130. And Kim gave birth to Sage at 635 in the morning. And it was you, her mom, Adula and Kim? It was. And it was an amazing process. It was a beautiful process. 
until the doctor walked in the room. <laughs> you know, everything was just, you know, breathing smooth. And the doctor walks in and was like, okay, it's time to push, you know. And, the, and obviously the energy changed at that point. But what was also really beautiful is that Kim's mom, Ellen, was in the room. And Ellen was the one who originally said, I, I can't be there. I can't get close to this baby. And when it came time to cutting the umbilical cord, the doctor basically like handed me the scissors. And I just looked at her and I said, no, I said, it's not me. And symbolically, I could not do that. And I looked at Ellen and she took the cord and she cut the cord. And I just thought that that was so cool, you know, for her to be able to do that. But so symbolically, for the, for the, the birth family to let go, you know, not so much for the birth family to let go for me, not to be the one severing that, that was that was more so where yeah. it, it could have been the doctor to do it right. if Ellen didn't want to, but I wanted to offer it to her since it's mm. her daughter giving birth. But I knew it was not going to be me cutting the cord. Oh. I, oh, I got oh. to hold her for, you know, I was the first one holding her. That was awesome, but not cutting the cord. So I want you to tell that, that really cool story that happened to you also. The little cool story that happened to me and lasted almost 12 months. <laughs> so, so I'm at the library. I wanted to pick up a book for a business trip. And I ended up finding a book that literally jumped off of the shelf. And it was called How to Breastfeed Your Adoptive Baby. Real nice, thin book. I thought it would be great for the plane, the plane ride. ride out. Little, little did I know it was going to consume 12 months of my life. But it was an awesome concept. It was really about bonding. It was about the bonding process and providing nourishment for your baby. So it's about formula, formula in little baggies and a little teeny tube. The tube goes into the bag. There's a strap that goes around your neck. And the other end of the tube is taped, maybe like an inch from the nipple. So the tube literally overlaps the nipple. So the big challenge was that they recommended pumping for like a couple of weeks before you decided to breastfeed because you could still stimulate and also provide real breast milk with the formula. So let me get this straight. So a woman who hasn't given birth, there's a pop possibility that if she pumps, that she can excrete and have milk, a little bit of milk? Yes. Okay. Yes. So this is also then for uh, women that have had difficulties breastfeeding when they also have given birth. So this concept now just jumped over into adoptive. Exactly. Right. Okay. Right. So I was, I was very intrigued. And so I did the pumping and then when we brought Sage home from the hospital, she latched right on and it was amazing. It was awesome. Josh would fill the little baggies up before we went to bed at night. I'd have enough for the next day. And in terms of bonding, it literally took Sage probably about a good 45, 50 minutes to suck down the whole content of the bag. And then she was ready again two hours later. So I think I spent really like the first um, almost year with this little baby in my arms. You were breastfeeding was, for a year. It was amazing. Wow. It was absolutely amazing. And Josh did do bottles at night where, mm -hmm. you know, Josh would do the bottles when he'd come home from work. So, you know, he had that experience as well. But it was amazing. I mean, people were mesmerized. And when the cradle found out, they asked me if I would be like their breastfeeding advocate to, mm. to help other um, parents who might be interested in that. Wow. That was amazing. That was absolutely amazing, that little pink book. <laughs> but it was just amazing that you wanted to do that and take that to that level. And that, again, shows your willingness to have the experience that most people don't have. You wanted to do it your way. 
and do it in a way that was best for, for Sage, your child, for the bonding experience. That's just beautiful story. Thank you. And I was very fortunate too, or I did not work at the time. So it was, it was amazing to be able to have all that time to bond and have her in my arms. And then these other incredible stories that the first time that Sage was ever babysat, who babysat her? Right. So going back to the first time we met Kim at the cradle, you know, it was the, the informative get to know each other session. Kim's birth mother counselor asked her, what is your biggest wish for your baby? And she said, well, one day I'd like to be able to babysit. And I remember just kind of thinking like, you know, from a 17 year old, that was, that was her response. And I'm like, babysit. Do I have to pay you? (laughs) And, And so other than Kim's Family, my husband and I, we don't have family in Chicago. It's, you know, it's the two of us. And so it wouldn't be like I had the luxury of having my mom be the first babysitter, which would have been a natural. And once Josh and I were ready to go out for a couple of hours one evening and leave Sage home alone with a caregiver, it made the best sense for it to be Kim. I mean, who else would I trust my baby with more than, you know, the woman who birthed her? That's incredible. Other people are probably saying there's no way in hell I would trust that mother. But of course, you trust the mother to take care of this child who's from her body. That's her her birth mother. That's just absolutely incredible. You had that much trust and, and faith. And to me, that's the foundation of the story of just how much. I remember you saying to me once, why not? Because my daughter will have more love in her life. Why not open her up to more love? And that's incredible. And you've opened it up to incredible amounts of love. I'm all her family members. How many how many family members know Sage? Well, at the time Sage had four great grandparents. They're they're all deceased now. And Kim's first aunts and uncles and cousins are all in relationship with, with our family. What I did was Each year on Sage's birthday, I always invited Kim's family over for a little birthday celebration every single year. And we would spend holidays together. And, you know, we had a couple of incredible, you know, wedding celebrations where Sage was uh, bridesmaids. And it's just, it's always been a very natural. And you said an unsaid process where they wouldn't just drop by. Kim's parents feel like, they are so fortunate and so lucky because of how Josh and I are and, and how we've parented Sage. And at the same same sense, Josh and I feel like we are so fortunate because they're an amazing family. They love her just like they love their other grandchildren that came after Sage. We're so fortunate too because that's pretty much how it was naturally from the start. You know, they wouldn't just drop by just for whatever reason. And they basically never give us advice that isn't asked for. There's no judgments. There's no, you know, you should do this. You should do that. Where I think they're just so thrilled with how we parent Sage and the relationship that we have with them that, you know, I call it an invisible boundary. One year, Kim's grandparents, so we're talking about Sage's great-grandparents, called. It was the day before Valentine's Day. And she said, 
we have something for Sage. Would it be okay if we dropped by? And I said, of course it would. And it was so heartwarming for me to watch, you know, this couple in their 80s sitting on my couch, just like taking in this little adorable baby. It's just so beautiful. And even to like backtrack, I just remember like the process of how fast that also came in your life because there was a process that you thought it was going to take a while. And you were actually at our house in North Carolina after River, our baby died in birth, and you were helping us through that grief process. And uh, you were there for a few weeks, and that's when you got a call from Josh saying, hey, we've got an interview. You got like bumped up the list, and Sage was born within a month after you left us. And so that's that's an incredible process of just the healing for our family of uh, a baby not in our life and then another baby in our life. So tell, tell that story when you came back from being with us um, and supporting us through our process with the death of our baby. And you had dinner with Josh when you came back. Right. So after, after being with you and Rainbow and Xander for about a week, Josh picked me up from the airport and we went out just for a casual dinner and I'm sharing with him and I'm just crying and full of emotion. And I think I cried for 45 minutes straight, just, you know, talking and sharing. And a couple of days later when we met Kim, she mentioned to me, she, she said, I saw you at a restaurant the other night because Kim knew what I looked like from the portfolio, but I had no idea what she looked like. And I said, what do you mean you saw me at a restaurant? <laughs> she goes, yeah, I saw you at a restaurant with Josh, and you looked like you were really upset. And here I'm thinking, oh, what a great first impression. <laughs> here I am, like, bawling for 45 minutes. You look a little upset. And, it, and it's kind of funny because I think in hindsight, too, she lived maybe about 15, 20 minutes away. Wow. And so it makes sense that, you know, she could be in our area, no problem. Mm-hmm. But I was wondering, too, if maybe she just wanted to do like a little drive by our house, mm. you know, before she met us. Did you, you know, ever just, ask her that? I, no, I never asked her. Mm. I mean, it really wasn't that important, but it was right. just, you know, when you think of coincidences, sometimes you think, right. well, maybe it was intentional because that was a pretty big coincidence. We'll talk about coincidences. This is, I think, I don't know if this happens for, for most people, but but Sage looks so much like our family and so much like you, not like him at all. I mean... Kim is blonde, she is fair-skinned, and then, of course, Sage's biological father is from Mexican descent, right? right? That, to me, was just so cool. It was like, oh, my God, she looks so much like you, my sister. Right, exactly, because the first time I met Kim at the cradle with her beautiful, curly, long, blonde hair, really, really fair white skin, blue, green <laughs> eyes, I'm thinking, oh, we're going to have this beautiful little light-skinned baby with this gorgeous... Dark hair. Gorgeous, dark hair. She's got the curls. She does have the curls. She yeah. does have the curls. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because sometimes people are kind of really surprised when I tell them that we became a family through adoption. And they'll ask me, well, does she look like her birth mom? <laughs> and then I'll pull up a picture on my phone with the two of them together. And they'll just look at me and they'll say, wow, that's really amazing. Yeah. Some people are probably wondering about the biological father. They stopped being a couple. They really weren't a couple? They, they never really were a couple. Um, Kim was in a relationship for a couple of years, and he broke up with her. And this was more of a rebound relationship. He was 16 at the time. And when Kim told him that she was pregnant in the parking lot of a Walgreens, 
His response to her was basically, not my problem. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. And Sage never met him. Sage never met him. She has a picture of him. Hmm. I don't believe Sage really has any interest in meeting him. Hmm. Although I'd like to meet his sisters. Yeah. Why is that? <laughs> Just the resemblance. Hmm. you know. And now Sage is going to have, what do you call it? A half biological oh, um, sibling? Yeah. So Kim is pregnant. Right. She's pregnant and she's due in April. And Sage is going to have a, a half biological brother, right? A half, a half biological brother, right? Yeah. Yes. 19 years apart. 19 years apart. And what did you tell Sage? 19 years apart. So Sage, <laughs> Sage said to me, she goes, I don't know if we're ever going to be close. And well, actually, just to back up for a second, Sage and I were really disappointed when we found out that it was a boy because we had been saving baby clothes for the past 19 years. Her baby clothes. Her baby clothes for the baby. And I think, too, if it was female to female, you know, there's a little different energy there. But so Sage was saying, you know, my mind, I don't think we'll ever be close. And I was saying, you know, it depends upon how you embrace him. You know, send him, you know, like little cards on Valentine's Day and Halloween and, you mm -hmm. know, just stay in his life. And then when he turns 20, you guys will have something to talk about. <laughs> how did your advocacy come about? You became like a spokesperson for the cradle and you went into schools and to talk about uh, adoption, open adoption. How, how did that start with you? Because to me, that was also another level of that incredible aspect of you being able to share positively your experience to open it up for other people to have more positive experiences in adoption. And it just says so much of who you are. I mm -hmm. just love you. Thank you. Love <laughs> Thank you. It actually started when the cradle asked my husband and I and Sage to be part of a panel. So we were those experienced parents when all of the other parents came in for the adoption 101 sessions. How long ago was that? That was Sage Sage was an inf Sage was an infant, okay. maybe six weeks. So seventeen years ago. Seventeen now. years ago. So we did that probably for a year. And I think the cradle might have realized too that our story is really so unique and so different than the typical stories where maybe they didn't want to set those expectations, mm. where at first they probably thought it was inspiring, but yet just in terms of how quick the process happened for us, how open our adoption is, or maybe they just wanted to bring in new parents too. So individually, I became an advocate through their outreach program. I would talk to sophomore and junior high school students during their health ed orientation. And in terms of the topics, I was the topic on adoption, in addition to listening and learning about STDs, abortion, pregnancy. So it was that whole full circle. And I was the person who would talk about adoption. I loved it. It was amazing. You know, sometimes I would walk in the room and there would be both young women and young men Again, we're talking high school students and, you know, you look at them and you see the bored faces and, you know, I would go through the, you know, the introduction. I, you know, I'm here representing the cradle. And I basically told them that my main purpose is to tell you about my personal story. And I would always have a picture of my daughter. I'd show them my daughter and I would tell them just, you know, ask me any question, any question that you want to ask. And it was so heartwarming and so amazing how... They really wanted to understand. I remember there was one young man, he asked me, he said, what happens if somebody adopts the baby and then like later on they decide that they don't want the baby? 
and that the baby ends up like not having parents. You know, and I said to him, I said, you know, I said, honestly, I cannot imagine that happening. You know, here you have two parents who probably tried for years to get pregnant, to have a baby, to have a family, and they probably went through infertility for years and spent a lot of time, a lot of emotion, a lot of money, and now they're adopting a baby. I said, I, I, I really believe that this is a, a for-life thing. Yeah. You know, and it was just, it's, I think what really inspires me the most is that there's no limits to how somebody else can be affected through my stories, yeah. you know, whether it be their personal story or somebody else's. And I'm so looking forward to the possibility of Sage telling that story through her experience or in, in the stories that she's going to hear. And she knows these stories, but she's going to hear deeper because in my practice, I have people that are adopted and there's a lot of psychological wounds and challenges of being abandoned, not being wanted. Sage has a whole different story. You know, she knows the circumstance that Kim could not bring her up at that age and so forth. And, and then to still have Kim in her life and that healing process is not like many people I know at an older age, even in their 20s, 30s, or 40s, are searching all over the place for their birth family and birth mother. And there needs to be this healing process. So, yeah, it's, it's a whole different healthy process. This has been a very healthy, I think, a very healthy process for Sage's mental state in all of this. Right, right. Absolutely. And Sage was always my center around the decisions with adoption. I always wanted her to know, you know, where her roots are from. And with adoption, you know, some people do feel threatened. Sometimes I'll even have friends say to me, you know, what if her birth mother decides that she loves her and she wants her back? And my response is, Sage has so many people who love her. You know, she has this whole circle this whole additional circle and family of people who love her. And I think it's natural, too, when people don't really understand adoption, where they do feel threatened, thinking that there's an outside source that, you know, might love the child and want the child. And, and with our situation, I can remember the first conversation I had with Kim on the phone. When we hung up, she said, meanwhile, Sage was probably three days old, she said, tell Sage I love her. And every single time I would have a conversation with Kim on the phone from that day forward, it was always tell Sage I love her. Mm. Oh. And what a gift. What yeah. a beautiful gift. Yeah. I'm just feeling it in my body right now. What a beautiful gift that is. And again, how much love that Sage has from all these people that love her and, and that it's just family. Right. And for Sage too, we never like had to explain her adoption story, story where at a very, very young age, she knew that she grew in mommy's heart for a very, very long time. And she grew in Kim's belly. And because of Kim, we are a family. Mm. So you really honored Kim so much. That's the beauty of this too. Like you really honored and you didn't feel threatened by her. And that's most of the dysfunctional healing or the wounds is usually the adopted mother feels threatened by the birth mother. I never felt that way. In fact, I, I felt even, I actually felt sad a little bit after Sage was born where, you know, I knew Kim was definitely going to sign what they call the surrender papers, um, surrendering her parental rights. And I knew she was going to sign it at the 72-hour mark where she basically had as long as she wanted, but yet she could not sign prior to 72 hours. And... 
you know, I just really, really wanted to take her feelings into consideration with being with Sage as much as she could at the hospital. When it was time to take Sage home, I brought a couple of different onesies and I had Kim choose which one. Mm. And I had her, you know, help me take Sage out of the, the hospital thing and put her in her little onesie. And I knew when she was signing the papers. And honestly, it's like my, my heart hurt for her. Mm. Does she share any more of what she went through or what she goes through right now, Kim? Does she share that with you? How, how often do they see each other? You know, Kim has her own life. Mm-hmm. You know, she's married, she works, her husband has a 15-year-old son. You know, she's involved in her life where today her and Sage have more of a adult relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, they talk about clothes, fashion, makeup, their hair. You know, it's much more of a like an adult relationship where when she was younger, we would get together. Sage would go out to lunch with her and her mom, but I never felt like Kim had like a need to be with Sage, where it was more, you know, we, we saw each other, you know, for holidays, for birthdays. And, you know, and Kim was going to school at the time where I think it was really the perfect balance. You know, and I also wondered this too, was you and Josh, your husband, were, were you always on the same page with all of this? You know, the openness, you know, was Josh ever feeling like, whoa, let's caution, you know, I don't, I don't know if we, we should do this or were you guys very much on same page of what you, what you wanted for, for we were always on the same page yeah. always you know and again with open adoption you truly don't know what you're going to get you know where it could just be you know maybe a letter here and there mm-hmm. sometimes an adoption starts off open and then the birth mother for whatever reason you know maybe moves to another state or just loses interest and moves on with her life So Josh and I, we both really wanted an open adoption for Sage so that Sage, you know, again, had the love and the love of the family in her life. Was it hard for Josh's parents or, you know, I just remember mom, our mom having questions at times that she was questioning, you know, is this right? How are you going to do this? Did you get a lot of questions? Uh, No, we really didn't. And I think maybe with mom's questioning, it was to protect my heart. Mm -hmm. Nobody really questioned it. And, you know, again, Josh and I were really on the same page. And what we were really on the same page with was the certainty where, you know, whenever we talked about the 30%, which the cradle, I mean, that was the key. 30% of change of heart. 30% of change of heart, right. That was the key aspect that the cradle was preparing the adoptive parents for, you know, that this adoption could fall through and you might have to wait another year until, you know, you're presented again. And Josh and I, our whole outlook on the situation was that we're not even considering change of heart because this is, this is our baby. Now I'm kind of curious too, has Sage ever said that any of her friends asked her questions? Cause this is such a unique story of, wow, it's so you actually get together with your birth mother on your birthday? Did, did she ever have any of her friends ask questions? I believe that the friends that she grew up with, it was just a natural thing. That's, how they, that's how they knew Sage, right? Uh-huh. They knew Sage as, this is her this, story. Right, this is her story. Now that she's in college, you know, sometimes it'll come up in conversation and Sage will say, I'm adopted. And they're like, what? <laughs> You know, like, do you you know your birth mom? And then, and it's such a natural story for Sage to share. Well, this is the beauty of this. This is what, you know, I like to hit home for some people. You can have a 
a natural story like this. It doesn't have to be adoption stories, don't have to be what we maybe see in the movies, secret, horrific. There's these beautiful options and I'm just so thrilled that that you had that experience and you gave our family the experience of having such a wonderful and healing and open experience around a subject that has a lot of shame, a lot of taboo around it, and it's not felt like that in our family at all. It's just wonderful. It's a wonderful, unique story. Thank you. It is a unique story. Sage is coming home in a few weeks for spring break, and the next day she's home, we're going to go to Kim's baby shower. (laughs) (laughs) Sweet. It is. It well, is. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for telling this story. I, I know that's going to blow some people away and probably also uh, have a healing process for people. Thank you. So Thank thanks, you. Thanks Thank for you, telling for it, it was great sharing this with you. I can't wait to do it again on something else. Brother and sister love. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Relationships. Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed professional counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit HeartShareCounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk at AdiTheMonk.com. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is produced by PodCraft. Create your own great podcast today, faster and easier at podcraft.us. Thank you.